Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode 14 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I am Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowser Consulting. On today's fabulous episode, we're going to talk about, well, where we've been. We'll talk some training and why training sometimes doesn't stick. We'll review the book, The New One Minute Manager. We'll do Sam's favorite section, Taken. We'll do an interview with Shane Casey the chairman of the DFA. We'll talk on the road again, and then we will land this plane, Sam. Hey, man, that sounds great. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Drew, where the hell you been? Well, let's see, Sam. I think I've been the same place you've been. Uh, I've been at the uh, Helmholtz Better than yesterday, consulting world headquarters, as I completely mess up my own location to say in a very long way that we did our first virtual training event. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I was uh, sequestered here at the Fowser Consulting World Headquarters. And uh, much like today's taping of the podcast, it went off without a hitch and no technical difficulties, which was amazing. It's always amazing because, Sam, they don't know what they don't know. They don't, and they're not going to know. Until we tell them that we spent two hours recording a session that you didn't hit record on. There was that. All right, moving on. Let's let's wrap that up and move on to the next segment. Let's talk training, shall we? Now, we've talked a bunch of stuff on this podcast. We've talked staffing and retention, and then I think we've talked staffing and retention. There was a time we talked about staffing and retention. And then I think once we may have talked about retention. Yeah. So today, instead, I actually want to talk about why Learning Hub is so hard. It is pretty hard from what I'm hearing. Learning Hub is, uh, can be challenging. What it, do you got for us? It can be. So let's, let's talk this through for a second, Sam. Let's ha- have some fun, you and I. Instead of talking about Learning Hub, I actually want to talk about cutting edge first. Okay. So let's play this out. Your store that is doing boxes the regular way, the old-fashioned way, you're good with that. Is that a fair, fair start, Sam? I am good with that. Cool. I come in on Tuesday, and I destroy your cut table. I remove your labels, and I tell you, don't fold boxes anymore. Here's a rocker blade. Godspeed. I am scared of that. Cool. Your first weekend, how's that go for you? My guess is uh, it could be a little touch and go at times. Okay, cool. By weekend two, are you going back to the old way? Probably not from everything I'm hearing from my clients and seeing on the Facebook. I've seen that that first weekend can be a little challenging, but once they put their mind to it, stick to it, and go with the tips and techniques that everybody's been so good about sharing, I see things like, I would never go back. That's interesting. Because to go back, you would have to undo a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. 
I'd have to bring back a label printer. I'd have to bring back the overshelf. I'd have to start folding boxes again. Yeah. All right. So now let's take what we do for cutting edge. And now let's take it into learning hub and how we train people. Okay. I'm listening. Do we train people today? Um, yes. Right. I mean, I, okay. So you and I can laugh that that's not really training, right? We kind of fall into it. We, we don't really train somebody. There's not a process or a program in place. It's stand here and do something. I may tell you when it's right or when it's wrong and then just keep repeating whatever it is that you're doing. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what I'm seeing a lot today. People's backs are against the wall and their systems that they may have had don't seem to be in place any longer. And, um, yeah. So I introduced learning hub. I want you to change the way you, you train half train might not train by introducing this new thing, which by the way, the minute I leave, unlike cutting edge, what can you do? Oh, I can just revert back to what I was doing, which was basically nothing. Right, because nothing is always easier than something. Heck yeah. Even though nothing might not get you the result you want as quickly as you want. It really doesn't. I could always walk to California. It's probably quicker and better for me to fly. Yes. I mean, you do have longer legs than the average human being. So true. This is so true. And we could talk about that at a different time. But that's for a different time. It is. That's a story for a different time. So let's think of training. The obstacle here isn't Learning Hub. We can complain that, that Adobe makes a product that isn't exactly intuitive. And I would agree with that. But that's not what the problem is here. The problem is that we have, we're introducing a system that the end user doesn't need to use. We're introducing a system that we haven't explained why the end user has to use it, why it's better, why it makes life easier, even if, like cutting edge, it's harder for a weekend or two. And I, I think at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're introducing change. Ah, oh, change management, Sam. And everybody's afraid of change because that's not the way we used to do it. That's not the way I did it in my old store. That's not the way the old manager did it. So why do you want to change everything and make it worse? And I think, I think that's one of the linchpins to why maybe people are struggling with Learning Hub, because at the end of the day, it's change. And, and change management is not something we've been really good at historically. We've been really good at forcing change. Uh, garlic around the edge, forced change. Cutting edge. Forced change. Pulse. Forced change. Okay. So we don't have to manage change when we tell you it's this way or it's no way. However, when we tell you it's this way or a whole slew of other ways, then we have to introduce change management. And for those of you that don't know about change management, I'm going to scare you for a second. Change management, the curve is the same curve as grief. So, so when you go through change management, it looks exactly the same from a how you feel perspective as when someone close to you dies. Oh man, that got dark really fast. But it's absolutely true. You go through this, this first phase of, of anger. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me do it. Then you go through the phase of depression. Oh my gosh, this is set in and it's, it's not, I can't do it. I just, I can't get there from here. And whether it's learning hub, cutting edge, 
or quitting your job, all of these things go through the same process, which is insane because then you're at that bottom point. Yeah, I'm with you. Tell me more. Now, suddenly you realize you can do it and you start to move up that hill. But it's so hard because it's so different and life is different than what it was hours, days, weeks ago. And you start to grow accustomed to it. The thing is that you don't get to a point where you're happy and like it till you realize how far down away from it you are. It's not something that happens instantly. Most of us take that change curve and when it gets hard, the anger part, the depression part, I don't think I can do it. What do we normally do if we can? We revert back to what we know. We quit. We quit the change. Yeah. And, you know, I like these examples that you've thrown out. The cutting edge, there's no turning back once you go to that. The pulse, there was no turning back once we went to that. But your example of learning hub, I mean, there's absolutely an easy quit there. We're just not going to use it anymore. It's too hard to set up. It's too hard to get people in there. And, you know, I can think of a hundred other things where this change management is so important. You know, the quality of a pizza. I'm sure you've heard people say this in stores, Drew. How do you tell people whether or not it's going to go out? And well, we tell them to look at it. And if they like it, then they should send it out. (laughs) Yes, I have heard that actually. And they don't use the process. Of the five elements of a great pizza, rim, size, portion, placement, bake, because it's too hard to teach everybody the five elements. You got to keep pushing that rock up that hill. And you as a leader have got to initiate these changes and manage the changes and help people through the, the stages of grief that Drew put out there. So listeners, I've got some homework for you. If you don't believe me, go ahead and look it up. Look up the stages of change management on Google. Look up the stages of grief on Google. You're going to find the exact same learning curve. You'll find a hundred different images and it's the exact same curve. I tell you this because once you understand what you've got to go through to create change, it helps you identify how you can communicate it. It helps you identify where it is you need to step in the process. I tell you this because Learning Hub is a fabulous tool. We've got to be able to show the why and then be there and hold their hand when they need it. That first time they put a new team member through onboarding on Learning Hub, we can't just hope it's happening. The first time we've got to be there with them and, and, and help them because it's so different for that manager. The new team member has no idea. Sure, I'll sit in front of a computer for three hours. By the way, that's not what we want them to do. Yeah, that uh, sit in front of the computer for three hours thing. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say, you know, they watched all three days of three day onboarding. They got it done in the first day. This is my best employee. I think we talked about that in an earlier episode. We have. And then the team member comes out and you expect them to be trained. They're not going to learn how to make a pizza watching a video. They're not going to learn how to box a pizza watching a video. They've got to do it. Believe it or not, we are a hands-on type of business. Right. But we can take the stuff in Learning Hub and we can can use it to to set that foundation to explain why rim size portion placement bake is important, to explain why you should try and upsell whenever the phone does ring twice a day, to explain why drivers should take singles. We use Learning Hub to explain the why, and then we bring them out after five, 10 minutes, and we work with them side by side 
and show them how. And if we follow a process like that, then I can integrate learning how really easily into my in-store training through change management. So change management, what I hear you saying, change management is one of the keys to success to making sure that you utilize all the wonderful things that Learning Hub has to offer. Correct. And it's not just for Learning Hub. This will work for anything. You want to increase your service. You want to use DSS more. You want to have uh, an expediter. All of it starts with change management. The, the training you do on the back end is irrelevant because without the change management component of it, they're going to revert back to whatever it was they did that was comfortable the second it becomes uncomfortable. You know, if I think back to um, our most downloaded episode, episode number one, where we talked to Kevin Shaw, one of the things, I mean, he didn't come right out and say change management, but we talked a lot about all the changes that have been going on in his stores. And do you recall what he said he thought was the most important first step of change management as the leader? You know, Sam, I don't. So refresh my memory. I think he said that you have to go into it with a positive attitude, that you've got to be the one leading the charge. And I always like to say it's really hard to sell what you haven't bought. So you've got to buy into that change and you've got to be a cheerleader for your team to make sure that they understand the benefits. And you've got to understand that there's going to be pushback. There's going to be, oh my gosh, this is not the way we used to do it. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. What do you mean? Oh, cutting edge will never work in high volume. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit later with Shane Casey. He's got some stores that, I mean, they're kind of doing high volume. Uh, um, four or five times national average. Yeah. So, you know, the key, I think, is attitude. You, you have to believe that the change can happen. And, and knowing what the good on the other side of it is really going to help you with that. So Sam, what I hear you saying is that for change management to work, it's not about how I train or what I train. It's about how I communicate why the change is important. Absolutely. The team's got to know the whys. They've got to see the excitement in you for the change. And I think it's also okay for you to share your trepidation with them and tell them that, hey, there could be some bumps in the road along the way. We're jumping into Learning Hub. There may be some bumps in the road along the way. But at the end, when we get good at this, this is going to be fantastic. You know, Sam, I think of it a lot like there's, I can't remember the highway in Florida, but there's, there's a highway in Florida that crosses across the state. And I used to take this all the time from 95 to 75. And the speed limit on it was 55 or 60, except for one mile where it drops to 25. And if you didn't know this was coming, who do you think is waiting for you in that one mile? My guess is a Ford Crown Victoria with a bubblegum machine on it. You are completely correct. And the entire town's ecosystem is built around ticketing every tourist that drives through. That is a strong business model. It is. If you think about it, if you're not warned of this ahead of time and, it, and you get it, congratulations, you are so peeved, right? But when somebody tells you ahead of time, hey, I understand you're driving. I, I want to say it's Route 60, but that's too far south. Hey, you're driving across whatever that, that highway is. Hey, watch out. There's that one spot. When you come across, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I know. You hit the brakes. You don't get caught. You drive past the bubblegum machine laughing, and then you go back up to speed. This is the exact same thing with something like Learning Hub. You're going to have to tap the brakes. You're going to have to go slow for a minute. 
But the choice is yours at the end. Are you mad that you got caught? Or are you laughing at it and then right back up to speed? You know, there's so many examples of slowing down to go fast. You know, I'm, I'm a big golf fan. You know, everybody that yeah. knows me well knows that I like golf. And whether you like Tiger Woods or don't like Tiger Woods, he has gone through at least three major swing changes in his career where he got a little bit worse before he got better. And, you know, you can see it over and over and over again. Cutting edge is going to be a great example inside our pizza stores. I can run a wheel cutter as fast as anybody I've ever seen. I am going to be a mess with a rocker cutter at first, but I can promise you, I'm going to watch people that are better than me and I'm going to get better. And I'm going to get to a point where I'm as efficient with a rocker as I ever was with a wheel. And you just have to know that sometimes there's going to be a bump in the road along that learning. And that's part of that whole process that change management is going to be a part of. Sam, I want to wrap this section up by violating the principles of the book we're about to review. And here's, here's what I'm going to do for our listeners. There are many of you out there, and some of you may know the story, and some of you may not. But there is a trainer out there that used to work with me that while learning how to do cutting edge, cut a pizza into seven slices. Wait a second. Seven slices with a rocker blade? With a rocker, with a rocker blade. So, so I don't want to get into how. If you know who it is, comment in any of the posts that we share of this with that person's name, and I will send you a free book. Don't put anything else other than the person's name. You don't even have to put the person's last name, just the person's first name, and I will send you a free book. I'm hung up right now. I really am. Seven slices. Uh-huh. Like they cut the pizza seven times? No. Or there were seven finished slices? Seven finished slices with a rocker blade. It was, it was the most glorious thing I've ever seen. And, and yet the most, for a trainer, the most terrific thing that had ever happened in that moment. Wow. So if wow. you know who it is, put the name in any of the posts you see about this episode and you'll get the book that we review momentarily. Holy cow. All right. With that, let's take a quick break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Drew, we've talked a lot about training and we did a virtual training event. Do you think we should do another one? I think we should, Sam. And I think we should do it on August 24th at 2 p.m. That sounds great to me. And let's do this one all about service. Let's put the service in product, service, and image. I'm a huge fan of that, Sam. And what breakouts should we do? Well, let's start with how to get faster in the store. Let's call that speed on the front end. How about then we do dispatching with efficiency? I like it. And let's finish it up with aces in their places. I like it. Same cost as the last one, 49 bucks per ticket. Yeah, I think we should do a $5 discount. Discount code podcast. I like that, Sam. Five bucks off for podcast at checkout. And you're going to go to trainwithbty.com to register. Again, that's trainwithbty.com to register. Register today. All right. Welcome back. Looking forward to that next virtual training event. The first one was a huge success. We're getting just all kinds of great feedback from it. If you'd missed the first one, here's your chance to get in on the second one. Let's jump into our next segment. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. 
Speaking of all the books you'd ever want, this is definitely one that most people we tell you you have to read. We'll let you know what we think at the end. We read... The new One Minute Manager. Yes, we did. And uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. And my notes are apparently out of order. So written by Ken Blanchard and Spencer Johnson, the new One Minute Manager. They've taken some things that are kind of resonating in today's leadership world. And anybody you hear that talks about leadership, uh, I think, really sparked the need for the change in the One Minute Manager. And the One Minute Manager was written, I don't Gosh, know. 30 years ago, mid, mid late 80s. 30 years ago, when top-down management was the way everything was done. Yep. You had the boss, you did what the boss said, you got your, you, you know, you went through life doing what the boss said. And now everybody that's talking about leadership is talking about collaboration and you need to collaborate with your team. So Ken and Spencer went back into the book and they're calling it the new one minute manager. And they're talking about collaboration as well, because they think it's the way to go. And I'd be hard pressed to disagree with them. Drew, what'd you think of the book? I know I saw a couple of posts on Facebook uh, as you were making your way through it for the second, third or fourth time. Yeah. So I, I read the book the first time as part of my 100 Steps program when I was an assistant manager, and I'd forgotten so much of it. I do want to share with the audience, Sam and I talk about fables and not fables. This is a fable at 108 pages. I read it literally in an hour while sitting on my deck. I believe the audio version took Sam longer than me reading it. Yeah, the audio version was about an hour 47, and I probably had two hours and 15 minutes into it when I got done because I was stopping it and, and dropping some notes. Uh, but I was able to uh, listen to the audio version while I continued with my Garage Mahal project. That's, that's very nice. Thank you. If you're a leader today, you'll read this book and, be, and, and look at some of the things and go, yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. And then there'll be a couple things where you go, oops, I do the opposite. And that's the joy of this book is there's, I, I, I want to think, Sam, that almost the entire leadership genre grew out of this book. I would say, say that's true. So, so a lot of what we've talked about in the last few books, the energy bus a little less so, but many of the other books have all the same core concepts as this. The authors just decide to spend four times as much time explaining it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, back to the energy bus, I think the energy bus is kind of the step one to the one minute manager. The energy bus is talking all about your energy and getting the right people on the bus. And I think the one minute manager is actually talking about once the people are on the bus and you're moving down the road, how you keep the bus moving down the road. Completely. It. If, if, if I were looking at building my own training program today and, and Sam, you came to me and said, I want to be in management. I would tell you, read the energy bus, read the new one minute manager, then come back and tell me if you want to be in management. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. And if the answer is yes, um, I think the third book I'm going to have you read is the one we did last week, Clone Yourself. Yeah, Clone Yourself. And then Atomic Habits about three months into the role, like that four book series teaches you almost everything you need to know about management. Yep. And then it's all about repetition and practice. So what else about the book stood out to you? The amount of quotes I have used out of the book and forgotten that they came from this book. Yeah, that's that's crazy, right? I mean, feedback is the breakfast of champions. I uh, think you uh, and I had on slides 12 years ago 
and and I just completely forgot it came out of this book. There was a spot where I talk all the time in my supervisor class that soups look at things and catch everybody doing stuff wrong because it's so much easier to catch doing them wrong. The OER is about catching people, catching things that people do wrong. And the book is about catching what they do right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, the quote was help people reach their full potential, catch them doing something right. Everyone is a potential winner. Some people are disguised as losers. Don't let their appearances fool you. And the quotes in the book are just spectacular. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a good, quick read, a fable like you said, and without giving away the book, there's just so much in it, and it hits you so quickly. I mean, it's much different than, gosh, I don't remember the one we read, uh, Built to Last, I think, where I said Built to Last was a really good book, but it was so long, Yep, and I just didn't really think it fit in with with what our listeners need the one minute manager the new one minute manager this is a direct hit on what our listeners need and and for those of you that are like i'm not a manager i'm a supervisor i'm a director i'm a vice president congratulations how about this quote for you take a minute to look at your goals then look at what you're doing and see if it matches your goals how much time do we waste on things that aren't tied to the outcomes that we want even remotely tied to it, but it makes us feel good. It makes us feel better about ourselves. And then we complain to someone up here or above that we don't have any time because we're wasting so much of it. I could read this book over and over again because I'd, like I said, I'd just forgotten so much of it. Yeah, it's really good stuff. And then uh, I'll just let the cat out of the bag a little bit. The biggest change from the original book to this book was the third secret. And the third secret in the old book was the one-minute reprimand. And now in the new book, it's the one-minute redirect. And instead of reprimanding someone for doing something wrong, uh, they get into this one-minute redirect where you first make sure you know all the facts. And then second, you find out what exactly what went wrong, how it made you feel, how it made the person that did it feel, and what you're going to do next. And then at the end was the affirmation of the person, making sure that the leader is letting the team member know that what you did was bad, but you're still a good person, and I still trust you, and I still have faith in you. And I think that's really, really important. And I think that's something, especially younger leaders or people that are just beginning their, their journey into leadership, I think they forget to do that piece, that piece at the end that makes a person still feel valuable while understanding that they may have made a mistake that was detrimental to the rush or detrimental to the business, but something that could be fixed and the person still brings value. And even in the book, they mention how occasionally the good leader misses that affirmation piece. And the best part is that the team members have enough faith and confidence in what they're doing to ask for it. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. Let's get to a point where I mean, I think we've already said that we like it, so obviously it's not going to go in the donation bin. Nope. And now that we have a five-step evaluation program, thanks to Drew changing the rules, are, are there going to be any rule changes on this one? Anything I need to know about before I give my rating? I mean, I don't think so, but but let's go for it and see what happens. Okay, so for <laughs> this one, um, this one for me is going to be on the desk, 
And I'm going to start looking back at it a lot more often than I had in the past. And I'm going to start actually giving it credit when credit is due when I'm doing workshops. I'm not going to put it in the backpack and hand it to people. And I'm not going to buy it and ship it to people. Because quite frankly, you've got to make an investment in yourself. And you should pause the podcast right now and go to Amazon and order it and read it. So me carrying it in my backpack is going to be ridiculous because you'll already have a copy. So for me, this one's on the desk. How about you, Drew? I actually agree, Sam. It's on the desk. I need to take some of the quotes I have. I have a quote deck that I start all my uh, classes with, and I need to update it with with a couple of these because they're so good. Um, instead of pausing and going to Amazon, pause and go to one of the links and then click the link to get to Amazon so that Sam and I get a penny or two off of your book purchase. It doesn't change your price a bit, but it helps us know that you're actually helping us out a little bit. You know what that just was? That was a one minute redirect. That was completely a one minute redirect, Sam. And I have faith in you that you will do it correctly the next time and that you're still a good person. Nicely done. Wow. <laughs> Not That didn't even happen in rehearsal. <laughs> Well, fantastic. So uh, the new one minute manager, Drew and I both agree this one's on our desk. We're going to be looking at it a lot. And we also both agree that you should go to either one of our websites and find the book on our website, click it, buy it, and you should read it because I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And that would be great. All right, Sam, it seems like it's time for some Liam Neeson action. I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Sam, what is it that you have taken from the stores? All right. So in my favorite segment from Taken, because I haven't been in the stores much, but I do monitor what's going on on the general manager's pages. And we've been talking so much about retention. I saw something that, you know, sometimes I see things and I'm wondering to myself, my gosh, why didn't I think about that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? But I saw a general manager on their whiteboard in the store had simply put up, tell me what you like about the job and the team. And the team had written all kinds of marvelous stuff. And there were a couple of comments up there that probably should have been erased. But for the most part, people were writing great things. And the thing I really like about this idea, the thing that I really like about asking people what they like about the job is because they're telling you what their currency is. And once you know what their currency is, you can leverage that currency to get better performance out of them. If you know what they like about the job, and let's be completely ridiculous for just a second. Let's say that Johnny likes cleaning the oven and Susie likes cleaning the bathroom. Well, I'm not going to have Susie clean the oven anymore, and I'm not going to have Johnny clean the bathroom because they say they like these things. Obviously, those are ridiculous uh, examples. But once you know what people like and what they don't like, you can start to really specialize the tasks for folks. And if they like doing what they're doing, maybe they'll do it just a little bit better. How about you, Drew? What have you taken from the stores? I really like that one, Sam. And, and to piggyback on it a little bit, my kids were in the drama club at high school and they actually do a praise board where you take post-it notes. And if somebody did something cool and you witness it, you write it on the post-it note and thank them for it and stick it on there. Similar kind of thing. And, and oh my gosh, the response it gets because everybody likes to be told thank you every once in a while. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I've seen that in Starbucks too, where they've put out post-it notes and a pen and they say, tell us something your barista has done well. 
and then they post them up all over the place. And I got to believe that, you know, if I'm not seeing a lot of my name up there, that I might amp up my performance and, and try to do something. Or I might start interacting with the customers and say, hey, we got those post-it notes down there. If you like the way I carry you today, maybe put one up for me. I'm, I'm a little bit behind. Uh, I mean, I think there's just all kinds of things you could do with this to have fun inside the stores with the team members or even with the customers. And if people are having fun inside the stores, that could raise your attention. And here we are again talking about retention because it's so, so important. I mean, I think everything that you're doing inside your pizza stores in one way or another comes back to retention. Yeah, to I retention. had to say it louder that time because the whisper might not be picked up. <laughs> yeah, it might not be. So, um, yeah. Hey, There's Sam. That. So, so that's not actually my take, and I just wanted to add to what you were saying. With oh, that. cool. What's your take, man? So I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm, I follow not just just our brand, but a bunch of other brands, and I see something cool happening, and I never see it posted from folks in in this specific brand. A lot of your team members, it's their first job. A lot of your team members, it's their first time going into management. And I see a lot of five-star pictures and a lot of woohoo record week stuff. Right. What if when you promote somebody from CSR to AM, from driver to shift leader, you bought them a cake and you treat it like a five-star OER? I like that. I just want to point out one of our listeners. Uh, his name's Quentin. And he's in Mount Vernon, Illinois. And he rec he has been, every time he hires a new team member, he takes a picture of them against the chalk wall and he posts it on Facebook. Here's our newest team member. And he makes it a big deal. And what you're talking about, I think, is the next logical step. Make it a big deal. A five-star is a big deal for the team. But me going from driver to assistant manager, instead of, seeing these posts, which my gosh, guys, I wish you'd just stop them. The, oh, run, make it a big deal. You know, welcome to this opportunity. I love that. Yep. And it doesn't need to be a cake. It could be feed their family for the night. It could be feed their family for two nights. Like, like make it a big deal. Oh, you're teaching a new pizza maker and you tell them the first pizza you're going to make is the one you're going to take home to your family tonight. I mean, how cool would that to be if you were a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid and you come home to mom and dad and say, I made this just for you. And by the way, who cares if that means that they come in at four and they leave at 6.15 that night so that the family can get a nice hot pizza? Like, like make it a big deal. Make, make the things that we take for granted a big deal because for your team, it's the first time it's happening and it's a big deal for them. I think we are just taking so much for granted of what we do on a daily basis. People think they're just slapping ingredients together to clear the screen. They're making people's meals. And people think, well, I taught him how to make pizza, now he can do his job. Well, if you want them to have pride in that, give them a reason to be proud. Let them take a great pizza home that they made for themselves. I mean, I, I just, I love that take, and that may be my favorite take in ever, Drew. Oh, wow. That's kind of awesome, Sam. And if it's that awesome, let's just go right into an ad instead of ruining this moment. 
Drew, we've talked a lot about training and we did a virtual training event. Do you think we should do another one? I think we should, Sam. And I think we should do it on August 24th at 2 p.m. That sounds great to me. And let's do this one all about service. Let's put the service in product, service, and image. I'm a huge fan of that, Sam. And what breakouts should we do? Well, let's start with how to get faster in the store. Let's call that speed on the front end. How about then we do dispatching with efficiency? I like it. And let's finish it up with aces in their places. I like it. Same cost as the last one, 49 bucks per ticket. Yeah, I think we should do a $5 discount, discount code podcast. I like that, Sam. Five bucks off for podcast at checkout. And you're going to go to trainwithbty.com to register. Again, that's trainwithbty.com to register. Register today. Here's our interview with our fabulous guest, Shane Casey. Uh, Some of you may know Shane. He has been around the brand a ton, as he will tell you. And the amount of things that he was involved in that I didn't even know of from this interview are amazing. So why don't you sit back for a minute and listen to our interview with guest Shane Casey. On this episode of the podcast, our fabulous guest is Shane Casey. How are you doing today, Shane? I'm outstanding, Drew. Hi, Sam. How you doing? I am well and uh, so glad that you could join us. Thank you so much. So, Shane, for, for some of our listeners, they may not know who you are. So why don't you start it off by telling us your journey and how you got to where you're at today? Well, like many of the Domino's franchisees, I started as a driver back Many, many, many moons ago in 1989 in college, I applied at a restaurant where I lived in Lakewood, Colorado. Little did I know it was owned by the future Chairman Circle Hall of Fame franchisee, Jeff Littman. But uh, as I applied, Brian Miller, the manager of that restaurant, told me I was overqualified to be a driver and I needed to go into management. And so day one, they tried to put me into management. I was managing the Slotskys on the side. So that we came to an agreement that I would start as a driver, but I would interview with Jeff. And uh, Jeff did a couple of weeks later, move me into the MIT program. And I ended up with Jeff for 10 years. Met my wife, uh, managed about eight of his 17 restaurants, became a supervisor, became an ops director, uh, had a tremendous fun run with Jeff. Did uh, I think we had eight gold trainees in those 10 years. And, it was a, uh, you know, obviously Jeff's a special franchisee. Jeff and Marilyn were there for the birth of both of my kids. They were at my wedding. Uh, they are like my second set of parents, fantastic people. Met tons of great people that are now franchisees. So fun now later to see that, you know, how many people were managers and supervisors for Jeff are now owners across the, the system. I left there in 1999 to become an area leader. Back then a franchise consultant, now business leaders. We've called them 15 different things over the years, but basically I had Colorado and Wyoming. So I also had future chairman circle of Hall of Fame franchisees, Steve Dolan and Jay Fable, along with Jeff Lippin, along with a host of other incredible franchisees in Colorado and Wyoming. Just some amazing people that I got to learn from. Uh, Alan Irwin was a four-store, four-restaurant guy back then. I helped him build his fifth restaurant. I think he's, you know, he's at plus 50 now. So uh, I knew him when he was small. 
And then I moved from there to California where they asked me to run the West region from 2002 to 2008. So for six years, I was uh, transplanted from Colorado out to California, which uh, later became my home and where I raised my family. Uh, in 2008, I bought 13 restaurants in North County, San Diego from Rick Midlick and Jeff Morse. Rick was exiting the system after a long career and uh, two of those restaurants were on Camp Pendleton military base. Two of those are two of the three I still uh, own today. Along the way, I, I bought another five uh, with Sam Hishmay and all of his brothers and sisters. And we were partners for about a year. Uh, sold those five back to them. So they bought out my 51% and they went on to build their empire now, you know, almost 90 restaurants and had a great run with them. Then I came and uh, partnered with Dan Asini and Omid for those in 2012. Stayed partnered with them until just before COVID hit. Uh, we had uh, a great run, built a bunch of restaurants and grew his you know, business from 50 to over 100. And again, got to be associated with another Chairman Circle Hall of Fame in Dan. So I've been very blessed across my career to have gotten to work with and for and partnered with many of some of the best guys in the system. Uh, when I was with corporate, I worked for directly for Dave, Pat, Mike, Jim, Scott. So I, you know, some of the names that you know span the test of time for Domino's were my direct bosses and got to do my reviews every year. Jim Stanzik did my reviews at In-N-Out every year. Here in California, he'd fly out and we'd have a burger and we'd get the review and he'd fly back out. <laughs> so. Today, I own and operate three restaurants, two of which are managed by my kids. Uh, Jaden, uh, my son, manages the big restaurant. He's been dating uh, for three years uh, a lovely young lady named Cindy Boone, who's probably going to be my daughter-in-law, and she manages my other se second biggest store. And then Jake Vavar manages my third. He's been with me for quite a long time, almost a decade in the pizza business. And I've got my office manager and my supervisor, who've both been with me pretty much all the way through as well. So small business now compared to the big ones I've been a part of, but uh, a lot of fun managing the highest volume restaurants in the system. So that's quite a story, Shane. As you think about all of these things you've done, the area leader, the West region VP, the franchisee, the uh, partnering with other great franchisees, as you look back uh, since 1989, what would you say is the highlight of that journey for you? And obviously that's like trying to choose your favorite child. But if you think of something, what uh, what was one of the best parts of that journey? I think, you know, the things I've enjoyed the most, I'm a very entrepreneurial marketing based guy. And so I have enjoyed some of the product launch and creations that I've gotten to be a part of. I was fortunate enough to create Cinestics. Back in the day, in uh, at a restaurant 6208 in Denver, Colorado, uh, services Mile High Stadium, go Broncos. And uh, <laughs> Mike, Michael Ray was the national manager of the year that year, and he was the manager of that restaurant. And Candace Torreira and Del Torreira, two of the drivers there, each day were making cinnamon rolls out of expired dough and, instead of throwing it in the trash. And they convinced me that they thought they could sell these. So I went to Ann Arbor. Got uh, permission from them to run one restaurant test that eventually became a 15 restaurant test and then a Denver DMA test. And that product eventually made it to the entire world. 
sold a couple billion of those around the world, and I got Trailblazer Award for it. Uh, that was a, a truly a highlight early on. Later, I got to be part of the pasta launch with Dan. Dan created uh, the pasta walls uh, VP, and they assigned me to kind of head up and run that task with him. So I got to learn a lot of the behind the scenes of that product launch. Done some other marketing things along the way, some technology things, but I think I enjoyed each of the creating new things that got to stand the test of time in the system. That's been fun. Wow. Yeah, that is fun. The Cynistics, thank you very much. One of my favorite things. <laughs> my, my son my son has bottles of the cinnamon sugar in the, in the pantry at home. When they finally switched to twists, he, he bought a case of the cinnamon sugar. I had to tease him. I'm like, you realize it's just cinnamon and sugar in a certain mix. We could have got it at the grocery store. Yeah, but, <laughs> but it's domino cinnamon and sugar. And we still have it. He makes them at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. That's awesome. I think I heard Patrick once say everything is better with cinnamon on it. Yeah. I would, I, I'll say that I could agree with that. Nice. So you mentioned all of these fabulous things you're doing and have done and been a part of. I understand that besides franchisee, you might have another title right now. Is it president of the DFA? I'm a, I'm a board member on the DFA. The board selects a chairman. And so I've been the chairman of the board for the last two years. So Ken Peebles runs the DFA and has for quite a while. Jim Garrity was the chair for a number of years and did an incredible job. And as he stepped down to kind of enjoy his semi-retirement uh, with his wife, who's managing restaurants and owning restaurants over in the Texas area, he did, you know, didn't want to have the day-to-day -day grind of the chair anymore. And so I, I got elected in and took the chair behind Jim. So as the chairman of the DFA, what kinds of things are you doing to help make franchisees' lives a little bit better and hopefully more profitable for their stores? You know, I think that the the one of the coolest things about the DFA is that it is run by some of the best franchisees in the system in terms of guidance. Uh, Ken's got a great staff that every day wakes up and tries to find vendors and or you know solutions to problems but the guidance of that board you know 14 15 folks that sit on there some of the top names in in the system really are thinking forward all the time and what's next often we as owners are very caught up in the day-to-day -day, right you know the how do we manage through this shift today how are we going to manage next month but the dfa is looking down the road further down range to look for potential issues that might come and then find resources that can help to solve those. And it's, it's exciting to be a part of that process and know that as we bring things in, that those franchisees are able to use those to better their restaurant, better the situation with their team members, or potentially mitigate some of the risks associated with operating these restaurants. So along those lines then, Shane, what's something you could share that is either right now coming out or just recently, that way it's kind of more on the public side. The DFA has continued to work diligently on how we prepare for paying our people correctly. And the laws are very difficult because every state has different interpretations and the judicial system can make it very challenging. But uh, we've developed a network of really good attorneys that have incredible insight and have built a 50 state you know, bullpen, if you will, to be at the beck and call for every restaurant owner, whether you've got one restaurant somewhere and you're a brand new franchisee and you don't yet really even have a good attorney, 
or whether you're Von Mueller with 175 restaurants in five states, everybody's taking advantage of leveraging our dollars together to hire better talent. And then that talent can advise your local talent if you're not comfortable with taking on that big name. But the big name you know, piece has done the, the work that you would have had to pay your local attorney to get up to speed on. So it really, in many ways, it shortcuts you to having proper setups to both be within the law and then to defend that you are within the law. Because sometimes you're doing everything right and you still got to defend it. That's amazing that the DFA offers that for the franchisees and its membership. How many of the domestic franchisees are in the DFA as of now? Uh, I think the last I looked, it's about 92% of the restaurants in the U.S. are covered within it, about 80 to 85% of the franchisees. Uh, you'll get some turnover every year with new franchisees, and sometimes it takes them a year or two to get connected with it. And we try to do a better job of reaching out to them right as they franchise. Uh, their first year is free, and then from there forward, it, you know, it's a nominal fee per restaurant. So it's really, if you're using the vendors within the relationship, which both of you guys are, the you know many people have significantly more benefit than the cost they have in their fees. So really, the fee is is waived off essentially because if they're using any of the system, they've you know doubled, tripled, quadrupled that money back you know, along the way. Right, and you guys do a national meeting. I think every other year is that right? Yeah, the non-rally years for the big brand, the DFA puts on a meeting to bring together all of the franchisees. Uh, we'll bring in a, uh, a really good vendor show. We're bringing in a, some great speakers. It's coming up here in October in Vegas. And uh, Tom Monahan's going to be a speaker there. Rich Allison's going to be a speaker there. Stan Gage is going to be a speaker there. Just heavy hitters delivering some great content. And then there'll be classes and setups. But really, the DFA is about relationships. You know, the, the DFA app connects you directly to, you know, 700 of your brothers and sisters who are running the same business as you are. And we often use that connection. I think this is the one thing that's really special about this brand is that every franchisee knows they can reach out to almost every other franchisee on the system and the phone's going to get picked up and you're going to find the answers in the room somewhere. You just got to be willing to network a little bit. That's fantastic. And it's my understanding that at this year's national rally that you don't have to be a DFA member to attend that you're allowing any franchisees to go. Is that, it, did I see that correctly? That's always the case because they're their first year, they're, they're franchisees in the system. So they're welcome to come. The, you know, some of the content, some of the vendors, you know, you'll have to be a DFA member to take advantage of, you know, their benefits in terms of discounts and things like that. But, you know, we've never turned away anybody that wants to be at one of the main events. You know, this is about growing the system. And sometimes people have to see the DFA to understand what the DFA is. That's absolutely true. Um, I know I've had in and outs with the DFA, whether it was roles I've had at corporate or conversations with Chris Rowe or Jim or Ken. So, yeah, you've got to really get in to understand how the DFA helps. Yeah, uh, my roles over the years, I've played both sides of that fence, being a corporate vice president. You know, we, there are times where the DFA will maybe not have the same opinion as the corporation. And so you have a lot of good dialogue and I certainly had the dialogue on both sides of that table. So that gives me a great perspective when I said, you know, we, at the end of the day, everybody is driving the brand forward. 
sometimes we just are driving it maybe from a little bit different angle and we have to kind of see each other's angle and understand it. And then we can drive forward from there. So, so along those lines and about driving the brand forward, I want to share a story that you and I had. So Shane, I don't know if you've listened to any of our podcasts, but almost every guest we have, I've had some odd interaction with, whether it's watching Patrick throw a football or Dave Brandon telling me I need to get my kids a puppy for Christmas in front of my kids. You and I had an interesting interaction in San Diego. I don't know if you remember, but I remember. So if I may for a second, I'm I'm running the construction team and we had just gotten most of the pizza theater standards out and, and I'm in uh, one of your stores and we're talking about, um, I think it was menu boards. And I was like, Hey, you know what? I can help you source them, but, but the content on them, that's not me. And, and you spun with the angriest look on your face and you're like, no, you're from corporate and everything is your job. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Okay. I will, I will fix the menu board. (laughs) When I was a vice president, I, took a lot of pride in knowing that it was my responsibility to get the answer for whatever my franchisee needed. And oftentimes it's the impossible task, right? No, no corporate team leader could ever have every answer the franchisee is going to ask. And you didn't have that one that day, apparently when I turned on you. Oh no. (laughs) But, But the cool thing about Domino's is inside DPLLC, there are hundreds and hundreds of team members. And there is somebody responsible for it somewhere in the building. And so that day when I snapped to you, it was more about me, what I used to challenge myself to and my, my staff to the folks that worked for me was to say, never say no to a franchisee, tell them you're going to find the resource and get back to them. And I think that ultimately the brand does an incredible job of that. I've, I've rarely ever had a question they couldn't answer. They might have to dig a little to find somebody that has the the knowledge or, or that or that particular subject. Uh, franchisees are a tough breed. We we move so fast that oftentimes we're asking 40 questions at once and it's impossible to answer 40 questions at once. <laughs> well, I'll let you know that since that day, that has been my thing that didn't matter where I was at. If the question came to me, I'd find the answer for you, even if I didn't have it. So I, yeah, I, I get that now. It was just kind of funny that moment. And I apologize for snapping at you. <laughs> I think that's Drew's way of saying thank you for the development. Well, <laughs> we, yeah. we all grow, right? That's that's uh, as we go through this long journey together. Uh, it's pretty amazing all the different things we've done together. It is. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite a journey for all of us. So, speaking of things we do together, you had mentioned that your kids run stores. I understand you may have had a proud dad moment recently with maybe a five star. You want to tell us a little bit about that? My restaurants, the two big ones on Camp Pendleton obviously are a challenge in terms of operating on a military training installation. You don't always have perfect scheduling. You don't always have perfect knowledge of what the Marines are about to do. So you are constantly trying to ebb and flow with uh, the balance of that. Uh, As a result, we've had lots of four stars over the years, uh, but we've had very, very few five-star opportunities on the base. And Jaden took over the restaurant in the week COVID started. And so he got baptized by fire behind me. There there's some numbers, but uh, ultimately he went through eight record weeks in a row 
And I don't think any rookie managers ever had to do that, especially not at the volume he was at. About eight months later, he's got his feet under him. He's actually operating at a level that's pretty, pretty solid. He's done some things for the brand. And they came in on a Friday night at about 536 o'clock. And he, he and his team pulled off a five-star in that restaurant, got to take a picture out in front. And he was certainly super excited. Uh, it's only the third five-star in that particular restaurant. Like I said, they've hit four many, many times, but always found a way to be just shy of the, the ultimate prize. And uh, it was very cool to see it, not just for the restaurant and for the team, but obviously as a dad, you know, to see his first audit as a GM uh, goes a four-star and then a second audit go to five, he's heading down a career that I hope will be very, very solid for him. He's 21 and I was 20 when I started. So it's very unique to watch him. He's going down a similar path, you know, 30 years later. Was quite a great mentor, I'd say. <laughs> I enjoy, enjoy working with having my son here is fantastic. My daughter was with us and she managed for several years, but she is a Navy nuke on the USS George H.W. Bush now. And uh, she's out in Norfolk getting ready for her first tour of duty coming up uh, next year. Well, the next That's time awesome. you talk to her, tell her uh, thanks for her service. We certainly appreciate it. We'll definitely do that. I got to ask when they took the picture of the five star. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's the the Tony Stark Iron Man picture where he's like got his arms out and it's just bombs all behind him. Did they superimpose themselves on that? Because that's totally what I would do if I were running the Pendleton store. I'm just saying that's how my five star pick would look. It would just be the explosions behind me. And and this is this is how we are. Yeah, that's funny. We, <laughs> he was a quarterback here in high school and uh, in his senior year. We had it set up to have the 10 best quarterbacks in the county take a picture on top of the wings of one of the planes there. And right as we got ready to take the picture, the base went into lockdown for a particular the shot never happened. We were figuring out how to superimpose them back then. So I guess we'll have to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. I've got one last question for you. And, and it's around some things that, that you and your team improvise because of the volume you do. And I understand that um, Jaden's gone cutting edge. Yes. And that, that because of the volume, you guys invented what I call the spinning receipt holder. <laughs> Maybe you didn't invent it, but you should totally take credit for it. Because if you're taking credit for Cinestics and for Posty, you might as well take credit for the spinning receipt holder. So could you tell us about that? I definitely will correct one thing. I can't take credit for Posty. That's Dan's. I got credit for helping get him across the line when he decided to go. But Cinestics, <laughs> I'll take credit for. The spinning go. wheel was interesting. We, we had a... Uh, a moment where the brand wanted to make sure that people would stop the conversation that this couldn't work at high volume. So what's the easiest way to do that? They called me and said, Hey, will you take your son? Because nobody's going to be able to argue with the volume that he does. But as they educated me on a webinar, much like this one. And because I, at that point had not seen a cutting edge restaurant, there was only, I don't know, 40 or 50 of them in the nation at that point, obviously international had them for years, but the I hadn't been thinking about putting it into this restaurant on that webinar. They said, you know, the straight minder that's going to be on the side next to the route rack may not work at your volume. <laughs> and so they said, we're going to have to think about something that might maybe come from the air. We'll have to figure this out. And so we scheduled a follow up webinar the next Thursday. And when we got on that webinar, I, I had the, the spinning minder in my hand that I bought from Amazon. And it's a 26 receipt holder, much like a deli piece that spins around. We eventually mounted it 
directly from the ceiling above the cut table. I'm a football coach on the side and I'm a quarterback coach here at the local high school. And so sight lines and eye lines are very important to me. I'm teaching quarterbacks how to look downfield. If they let their eyes get up and down, they physically lose per the perspective of where they're at and they'll overthrow or underthrow the target. Very similar in the restaurants. If you can keep the eyes centered, you can keep the brain connected with the data that you're trying to process. And so by bringing it straight out in front of them, having it hang directly in front of them, only touching it once because it, it moves around the spindle and comes back around when you need it. It eliminated a lot of touch points, eliminated a lot of seconds and kept the eyes focused where they needed to be. Uh, that restaurant has now been on cutting edge for just about a year. So they've arguably done more cutting edge than anybody in the U.S. Uh, certainly there are international people far more experienced than we are. But uh, in the U.S. system, I can definitely say Jaden and his team have cut more pizzas on a cutting edge table than anybody in the system. So, Shane, if you were an operator right now and let's say you had a couple of years under your belt like you do. And you were weary of cutting edge because you hadn't just done it or you hadn't seen it yet. What would you want to hear to put you in the mindset that I need to take the plunge and I need to just do it? Because I work with a couple of clients that have been around for a minute and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm scared to death of it. And I just look at them going, you know, I haven't worked with it yet and I'm, I'm scared to death of it as well. But if I had a store, I would just do it because there's too many great minds saying that you need to just do it. So what's the one thing you would say to somebody that's still skeptical to go ahead and take the plunge? I think that the biggest thing for me was to study and understand what it was going to change. And <laughs> this is not one of those moments where you're just buying a piece of equipment. We as, as owners in the system, we have made small tweaks to the restaurant hundreds of times. All of us that have been around long enough know the restaurants don't look like they did 30 years ago. However, this one piece of equipment, if you will, effectively touches the entire operation. And if you're serious about it and you come in and actually do it right, come out, I'll take anybody here. I've already had over a hundred people come visit this restaurant on the base and meet the guys that are using it every day at a very high volume and talk about it. Yet you go back and you're gonna relook at everything you do from the dough all the way to the load, from the cut all the way to out the door. And the circle of operations will dramatically improve once you do it. You will have one really rough weekend ahead of you. There is no way to get past the fact that your first week on cutting edge, if you're right-handed, you're doing everything left-handed because you've never done anything you're about to do. You have not rocked, rock or cut a you know, Friday night dinner rush. You have not gone through a Friday night dinner rush without labels. You have not gone through a Friday night dinner rush without folded boxes. There are just a number of things that that first couple nights are going to struggle with. The second you get past that hurdle, we've had nothing but incredible results. You know, the, the out the door times have improved, the product qualities improved, the C sets improved, everything improves because the reality is it forces us to be disciplined in the kitchen. You can no longer just jam everything in the oven and say, woo, we won, clear screen. Oh yeah, well, the cut table sucks to be you. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you have to get it right in the kitchen and send it organized to the cut table or they can't handle it. So it forces us to really get good in the kitchen. And uh, I've yet to meet a manager 
that didn't say they wanted to stay there after they started. And really, as owners, if we're the ones in the way, how many of us are actually operating the table on a Friday night? You know, yeah. You're going to actually improve your, the lives of your team by getting this done. You know, so there's really no reason not to move forward. I was just as skeptical. It took me five weeks to agree to take the the restaurant in that they wanted. And I met with my team and we really broke it down. But I'm certainly glad I did. It was one of the best decisions I made. Yeah, for me, when a guy like Don May has been doing it for 30 years and says it's the only way to do it, it's pretty hard to argue with Don. It is. You know, everybody will come up. <laughs> there's there's five R's in my book when you do any project. First R, you got to reduce steps. Well, this definitely reduces steps. Second R, you got to reduce crossover. There is, this is going to make you get organized and you will reduce crossover. You have to reduce mistakes if you're going to be good in the business. And this definitely makes you reduce mistakes. We have very few remakes anymore. You have to reduce turnover time. You got to get the product from order to customer as safely as we can, but quickly. And it does improve that. And the last and maybe the most important, it reduces, you have to reduce the excuses. And we can come up with a million excuses why it can't work here. We have too many boxes. We have too much volume. Why are we changing something that's not broken? I, I challenge you, go put a camera above your cut table. Watch a Friday and Saturday night if you're not on cutting edge. And then tell me it's not broken. Because the reality is you've got pies spinning at the edge of the little catch guard that are getting cold. You've got, when they don't, they're pulling six things onto the table and laying them on the table while they look for boxes. You don't see any of that in a cutting edge restaurant. Once they get their organized piece together, you have no choice but to get it quickly to the box and up you know, from there. So it, it eliminates all of those bad habits that really were built in under the old structure. That's fantastic. And um, just so you know, look on Facebook later today, you're going to see a new poster with Shane Casey's five R's. I love what you just said there. That was, that was amazing. And I will send you a PDF of it so you can have it if you don't already. We're, we're going to race, Sam. We'll see who gets it up first. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Shane, um, I don't have any more questions. Is there something that, that you would like to add that we haven't asked you? You know, the only thing that I would add out there is that for anybody that's listening to this, challenge yourself to get out of your box, you know, do something that you haven't done before, whether it's in, you know, trying a new set of training with one of you guys, whether it's, you know, physically operating differently in the restaurant, go search out the people that are getting better results than you find out how they're doing it and then be willing to go apply it to your restaurant. If you do, all of our restaurants have tremendous upside. There is no restaurant in the system that is already at its top sales. And so if you're willing to stretch and you're willing to push and you're willing to try new things, you're going to find a whole new layer within your restaurant. That is something I have done across 14 years, across many restaurants, partnered and otherwise. And it's still the thing I do today. You know, we're, we are one of the highest volume franchisees in the system, but every day we are trying to get more and we're teaching our staff to look for more. And I don't think there is a top if Domino's continues to push forward. So one last question, based on what you just said, uh, we've been talking, we've been beating a dead horse about staffing. How are things going with your teams with staffing? So it's a unique question, right? But the, the times now have placed us in a difficult spot. So if you want to remove excuses, there's a million excuses why you can't get staffed. 
And some of them are very legitimate at the moment. The reality is there are people that want to work. You have to fight harder for them. A year ago, we got, I believe, a little bit spoiled because you could pretty much put one out out and get a thousand people that wanted a job. Now we've got to go be hungry and fight for it. And so as we build those muscles again, people are restaffing the restaurants, but it won't happen just by putting out an Indeed ad. You know, that is not what this brand was built on. We got to a place where we got lucky enough to have that for a few years, but that is not the world we live in right now. So, you know, you have to be willing to turn over every stone and get after it. The other piece is we got to learn how to operate at a level that doesn't require as much dependency on the staff. So we're working on some things in my restaurants right now to enable us to operate in this new norm, if this is going to be the new norm, where the labor market's going to be tighter, then we've got to understand how to operate with eight drivers instead of 10 and still get the same results. Some of that is there are efficiencies in the business and we've just got to, we got to work for those just as hard as we're working for hiring. But I would tell you, apply somebody that does nothing but the hiring in your business. You know, Sarah Fulton in my business is our office manager. She spends a large part of her job every week making sure she's talking to the candidates and physically getting them through the door. We hire six to 10 people every week. Uh, We maintain a lot of employees in our business. I have not had a situation where I couldn't service my customers correctly during this time. So you can do it, but it's definitely not easy. It's a whole lot of work now. How important would you say retention and the leadership style of your staff is to make sure that you've got enough drivers and CSRs and people to take care uh, of all the good folks in in your delivery areas? Retention's everything in this business because if you don't, I mean, you spend so much time and effort to get someone, then to physically convince them they've made the right choice and then to teach them how to do something for you and eventually let them get enough reps to where they actually become productive. If that's when you're losing them, that cycle is very vicious because it costs you several thousand dollars to get to that point where they're at productivity. So making sure that your team is well taken care of and loves the job, the the years that come after is where the productivity happens, but it's also where the great stuff happens. I've got so many drivers for me that have worked for me for the whole 14 years I've been a franchisee. And it's it's very cool to get to see that. Now, you can't keep everybody. I wish I could. Life moves on, especially here on a military base. I have many that work here while they're here for their year or two, and then they go back home, and home might be Boone, North Carolina. I try to make sure they get placed in a Domino's in Boone, North Carolina. I do place all of my staff. I physically talk to everybody that exits my business. I don't ever want them in an orange shirt, a red shirt, or a green shirt. They need to be in a blue shirt if they choose to be in pizza. And so if they leave home here to wherever home is, I try to make sure that they're going to land with that franchisee. How important do you think the selection process is? Um, I've got I've got some clients that believe we hire everybody that fills out an application. I've got other clients that say we have to be very selective in the beginning because that's where retention starts. What's what's your viewpoint? I 100% believe you cannot hire somebody that doesn't have some simple basics. When we interview here and we do it here in the office, if they don't smile through the entire interview, if they can't look you in the eye through the entire interview, how do you ever think they're gonna smile and look at your customer? That's a trait that you either already have 
or you don't. And I don't think you can teach that one. There'll probably be somebody argue with me and say, I can teach that. I'm not going to waste the time to teach that. I need to teach people how to make pizzas, how to deliver pizzas. I don't need to teach them how to be nice. If they can't start out with that basic tenant, I don't have any interest in bringing them in my organization. Beyond that, I think that you can teach just about everything else. I'm willing to give some latitude if somebody's had some problems in the past, you know, to see whether or not we can fix that. But you can't change, you know, the heart of the person. And if you, if you didn't sense in that interview, hey, this is somebody that's here for the right reasons, don't start it because they're, they probably aren't here for the right reasons. You're going to have problems. Right. Right. That makes sense. Excellent. Drew, anything else? No, Sam, I think that's it. Shane, thank you so much for giving us uh, 30 minutes of your time today. I know the bombs were dropping and going off and you had a couple issues right beforehand. So thanks so much for the time today. I uh, thank you guys. You have a, a great rest of July. Now that we're past the fourth, we can uh, start thinking about Christmas. All right. Thanks again to Shane Casey. That was a fantastic interview. Shane, thanks for all you do for the brand. Thanks for all you're doing for the DFA. And thank you again for taking time out to spend with Drew and Sam Talk Training. And let's take our last break of this episode. Drew, we've talked a lot about training and we did a virtual training event. Do you think we should do another one? I think we should, Sam. And I think we should do it on August 24th at 2 p.m. That sounds great to me. And let's do this one all about service. Let's put the service in product, service, and image. I'm a huge fan of that, Sam. And what breakouts should we do? Well, let's start with how to get faster in the store. Let's call that speed on the front end. How about then we do dispatching with efficiency? I like it. And let's finish it up with aces in their places. I like it. Same cost as the last one, 49 bucks per ticket. Yeah, I think we should do a $5 discount. Discount code podcast. I like that, Sam. Five bucks off for podcast at checkout. And you're going to go to trainwithbty.com to register. Again, that's trainwithbty.com to register. Register today. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on. be one of the longest sound drops we have i think it is uh 13 seconds wow i mean it it's good though it's willy so you can't really complain about that sam where where are you going where are you on the road this week i'm coming to you from new york i am with uh franchisee chris mcpherson and i'm working with domino's dave getting him up to speed on how to run a great domino's pizza store uh, learning how to make product just a little bit better He's got some great innate leadership skills, and we are just polishing this stone to make him hopefully a manager of the year candidate somewhere down the road. And then I'm off to Maine, and I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I'm in Richmond, launching Learning Hub with Kenny Cobbs and his franchise. And then for the first time in, I believe, two and a half years, I'm taking a vacation. A vacation? Yep. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going to St. Augustine, Florida. Nice. Taking the whole fam? Taking the whole fam and bringing a whole fam and just everybody getting together. Wow. Good times. Well, you know what? Cindy and I are also taking a little vacation. We've rented an RV and we're heading to the northern part of Michigan. We're going to do a little camping, play a little golf, ride our bikes, do some hiking. Looking forward to that as well. So then, Sam, I think it's time to land this plane. I think we should land this plane. 
So thanks so much for listening. We'd love it if you'd share these episodes with your friends, like them, follow us, and subscribe. This has been episode 14 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam Fowser with Fowser Consulting. As always, go out and sell more pizzas and have more fun. That's all, folks.